Welcome to the Geek to Geek podcast, where truth is stranger than fiction, maybe. I don't know. I'm Void, and I'm here with my co-host, Beige. But we're not starring Will Ferrell, because he's in the movie Stranger Than Fiction. Get it? It's like, <laughs> oh. Oh, I get it. Today, we're talking about nonfiction and documentaries, and I don't know how much I have to say about it, because I don't actually do a whole lot of like nonfiction and documentaries. I do a little bit, but this was your idea, and I know that you yeah, do a it. lot yeah yeah that's pretty much my thing these days i've had a really really hard time getting into fiction and finding a lot of tv shows that i want to get into for the long haul like i used to with fringe and lost and it's pretty much whenever i'm sitting at home wanting something to to watch i find a documentary series or a documentary movie or listen to a nonfiction podcast or honestly pick up a memoir or turn on an audiobook uh, that's tends to be nonfiction. That's pretty much what I'm doing these days. Cool. And like I said, I don't do a whole lot. Like, it's not that I never do. It's just it's pretty rare for me. Um, But like before we dive into some concrete examples and talk about like what we like about them and what we don't, um, do you have any like high level thoughts about like why are you so attracted to kind of like that documentary nonfiction style as opposed to, you know, escapism? I really don't know. That was it was just a kind of a gradual switch for me. It happened while I was driving a lot that I was listening to so much fiction and that was pretty much all I ever took in. I was reading novels and comics and video games and just sci-fi movies, just everything all the way around. And it really might be that that I was teaching fiction as well. I, everything, kind of like you were talking about before, that you don't want to listen to marketing podcasts because that's what you're doing all day long at your job. It kind of felt that way for me, that I was teaching, like for, the, for instance, the horror class that I taught. I had this very in-depth college college senior level literature class based on horror literature and it took me probably three or four years before I even wanted to watch a horror movie again and that may be part of it where I was so immersed in fiction all the time because I taught it just every day I didn't want to listen to any more of this or read any more of it outside of the just major fantastic keystones and cornerstones of what I was already listening to and reading like Brandon Sanderson and John Scalzi and those kind of folks. That makes sense to me. I wonder if you've kind of gone to the extreme other side in reaction to that. And if you give it enough time, if you'll go back to the way it used to be, or if you'll find like a new middle ground. I'll find a new middle ground, I'm pretty sure, because what I'm doing right now with fiction is going back and getting another foundation for upcoming books, where I started reading Mistborn this week, and I want to read the entire original Mistborn trilogy and the the Steampunk series, the Alloy of Law series, but I want the entire background for all of that before I even get into words of, not words of radiance, but uh, is it Oathbreaker? That's coming out uh, in the fall. I keep forgetting. I don't know. The third one. Yeah, the third one. I want all of that as a foundation before going into the new one. So I'm trying to kind of bridge my way into getting back into fiction that way because I've missed a lot of, say, Sanderson and Scalzi because of being reading about Buddhism and mindfulness and things like that. I could see that. Yeah. So for me, I like I said, I don't do a ton, but what I do read and like take in, um, it's a lot of articles, things that come across my feed on Twitter. But I also I still use Feedly every day 
as like an RSS reader. So I have tons of places that I, you know, follow and I don't read every article that comes across my feed, but I glance at every headline and then I choose the ones to like dive into and get deep into them. Um, A lot of them are around hobbies and gaming and geeky stuff, but I do other ones too, you know, like anything that's kind of like cerebral and interesting and anything that just grabs my curiosity, I will dive into and read until I understand it. Um, And then I, I know I've talked about them before, but some like nonfiction podcasts I listen to. So hardcore yeah. history, like it's still one of the best podcasts out there. I love hardcore history and I think everyone should give it a try. Um, and then the 538 politics podcast, which used to be the 538 elections podcast. And they, it, it went really well during election season. It had a good response. So they broadened it out and now it's their politics podcast. It's kind of a catch all. Um, and I really like that one because it's not, like one side or another it's just like numbers driven so it kind of gives you a picture of where things are at and which way things are going without being partisan you know it's not bipartisan where they try to show both sides it's like nonpartisan. it's just numbers and that that is huge for me because you know either side of the political argument i just get frustrated with because they yeah. they always end up so extreme and it's just Whatever. I don't have time for that. And even for me, just the way that I think, I mean, you know that I think in extremes, which I'm trying to work on, listening to a nonpartisan podcast like that is, it's, I see what they're doing, and I can't listen to stuff like that without putting my own personal biases into it, that I can't hear it and not get worked up from my own perspective. Like, I need it to be all of like I think, and I'm working on that, but I can't listen to uh, podcast podcasts, uh, political podcasts because of that. That's, yes, keep working on that. Good job. Good job for working on it. (laughs) Yay, counseling. But besides, I mean, besides that, I don't really listen to politics podcasts because most of the other ones are bad or at least one side skewed or another. Um, True. But then I do occasionally read or listen to a nonfiction book, and it's usually some kind of like autobiography or memoir of somebody. And yeah. it's like it has to be someone that I already know of, that I'm already interested in their work. And I almost always do it because I find out that they have read their own writing about them. Mm-hmm. And I pick I up the audiobook it. version of those. So that's what I did for like the Felicia Day one. And that one was fantastic. That's what I did for Carrie Fisher. Like the one that came out right around the time she died. That was super yeah. interesting. And it was the really Princess well done. The Princess Diarist, I think. Yeah, exactly. So I look for ones like that, too. And sometimes I get into them. But again, all of these are kind of like rare occurrences. Most of the time, my head is in fiction because that's I like that better. I like the escapism of it. But you have a lot, right? I do. I love like I said, I love this stuff. And when I was younger, I I really despised it. I did not understand why any person would read nonfiction, would write nonfiction, and more specifically would just not engage in escapism because my head was in the clouds. And my head is still in the clouds a lot. That's what uh that's kind of my personality, but I used I, I, I just used to not be able to empathize with people like this and the older i've gotten the like i said this is pretty much what interests me and i get really excited about it because i'm the kind of person who i listen to something and i find a way to apply it to myself or it makes me start thinking and having all of these ideas to be able to move forward and be productive or or just enhance something else in in my life and that's i think part of it for me because i don't really get that in fiction a lot of times if i'm reading Reading, let's say a John Scalzi novel about one of the old 
old man's war books. I can see parallels in the world, but I don't really see anything to better myself. And probably since I started losing weight back in 2010, my head has been in the, okay, how can I make myself a better person and improve my quality of life? So that's one reason I think also I may have moved into documentaries and nonfiction as well. That all makes sense. And like, I find myself more attracted to certain types of nonfiction now. And I think part of it is just like, age honestly like True. for a long time especially i feel like when you're kind of teenager and then into like early 20s there's this like idealism that i still have at the core of me but now it's like all wrapped up in this layer of practicality that it, I'm, a, I'm a different person than i used to be right like all yeah. of us are when you get you know just age more experiences more daily life that adds up over time and now i'm at the point where there are certain things that i'm like it's probably good to look back at history and see how this has gone before or see yes. how other people have dealt with this or other situations that are similar, you know? So, it, yeah, like I didn't really ever care. You know, I, it was always weird to me that so many people that were older than me were like all about World War One and World War Two and like mm-hmm. these wars that I was like, you weren't part of that. Like, why do you even care? You know, that was way before your time. And now I'm finding myself more interested in like, how did these things happen? How can we as a society avoid things right. like that in the future? And so I wonder like how much of it is just age too. And also, I mean, that goes into, I think, the same kind of path that leads me to nonfiction because you're looking at it from a higher level than I am. You listen to the history podcast, you read that kind of listen to the politics where you can apply it to the world. And I'm looking at it on a much more close reading and taking it personally and how I can improve my circle and my world here rather than the whole one. And where I think we're approaching it the same way and for the same reasons, rather. I do that to some extent too, like personally, but usually if I'm looking for something to improve myself, I will look up articles rapid fire online and mm. I will kind of like search for good ones, read what I need to read and get out of there. I don't like to that spend makes sense. a whole book on like self-improvement because that just bores me, you know, whereas if I'm trying to figure out, okay, like how should I be running better? You know, what's a good like running schedule or like what are good habits to get into for fitness? Like I will look up articles and I will find ones that I trust and I'll read them and kind of internalize it and then I'll move on. And it doesn't take me very long. Okay, and I like the people who are doing it, which is something I'll talk about uh, when we move down a little bit. But I like the stories that, yes, they teach me how to run. Yes, they, they can show me better running form and schedules and nutrition plans. And I don't want it to be dry information. I want to learn from Bart Yasso. I want to know Dean Karnazes' schedule and what got him in there, how we can eat entire pizzas while moving. And I want to learn all about those people and apply it because I see real-life adaptations of the theories that they're talking about, if that makes any kind of sense, or examples of it, I guess. I just I don't care about the people like I want the information. (laughs) I want good information and whatever. Like I don't care who it's from as long as they're like a trusted source and they're not just like BSing me. Um, That's that's all that it matters in the end. Like I just want the info. And I'm like, I want to make these friends. When Bart Yasso followed me on Twitter, like, I'm pretty sure that he still does. I mean, we never interact or anything like that. But I saw that Bart Yasso, who is one of the, like, major runners, he he works for Runner's World, does all of this. He's like the marathon dude. And when I saw that he had followed me on Twitter, I was just like, ah! 
<laughs> that was my nerd squee. Nice. Um, so let's let's get into some of your recommendations because you have a lot. Sure. Especially, I'm really interested in like the documentaries because honestly, yeah, it, it only takes like an hour and a half, maybe two hours at top. So these are the ones that I'm most likely to check out anyway. And I've I watched so many documentaries that it's honestly hard for me to remember a lot of them. Uh, my very first weekly geekery that we did when we first started this last year, I was watching Double Fine Adventure. It was uh, Double Fine Game Studios making Broken Age, their point-and-click adventure game that went from them launching their Kickstarter all the way to the release and through the development of this video game. And the reason I liked this so much more than other behind-the-scenes documentaries and featurettes that I'd watched was because, again, I felt like I knew this team, that it was a long enough series, and it's on YouTube for you guys to watch right now. You can just go look up Double Fine Adventure, and it was a long enough series that you saw how each person fit into that team if you had never seen that. I'd never seen that level of complexity that went into AAA game design and even indie game design, and they were talking all about it, and the main... The main guy is the writer for these. I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but he's a very famous guy. You know, Day of the Tentacle, Grim Fandango, all of this. And it talked about his writing routines in the morning and his notebooks and how he did all of this. And once again, I can be like, oh, I want to try that and see if it works for me. When I did, it did not work for me, but it was just super interesting to see the the process that this that it goes into creating a video game like that. And I bought their game after that. It's a super good game. That was Tim Schafer, right? Tim Schafer. That's yeah. it. Thank you. Yeah, and then the other one that came out right around the same time was Indie Game, which I've actually yes. seen. Okay, what did you think about Indie Game? Um, I thought it was good to watch once. Um, I don't feel compelled to go back and rewatch it a bunch of times. And right. I also know enough about the people who are in that that some of them are kind of jerks, and it didn't yes. come out until way after the fact. So I don't know if I would want to watch it anymore. But at the time, it was kind of like these unknowns for the most part. Not all of them were right. completely unknown. But it was interesting to just see like the indie game scene at that time in that place. And that's really what is interesting about it to me still. It's I've bought the games from the people who were in that because I wanted to experience what I saw. And Super Meat Boy is great. I still think it's funny. I like watching those people. I mean, I don't know anything about them as people. I hate that I gave the dude from Fez money that I know it was only like a buck and a half on Steam during a Steam sale. But I hate that I supported him in any way because I just don't like him. And I don't like the game either, which is part of it. But watching Indie Game and the follow-up, what was it, Indie Game Life After, I just don't like him. And I loved the first movie, just seeing the the personal stories that go into the release and launch of these indie games. And the follow-up was showing what happens after these kind of successes, and it wasn't nearly as interesting to me with that follow-up. Did you see the follow-up? No, I didn't at all. It's on Netflix. It's meh. It's a background thing. I ended okay. up doing some other stuff while I was watching it because I can get I got hardcore into indie game itself and then it was like eh. Same kind of thing with like video games, the movie was one, and I can't remember even what the other one was. There was there was one really cool one that was on Amazon that whose name I couldn't even find, but it was about collecting every 
original NES game within a month, I think, of just going around to used video game stores and collectors and trying to find every single NES cartridge that was that had been released. It was really cool. I liked that one, too. You guys should look it up on my vague description of it. Um, Perfect. Um, it's it's like going to the library like, I really like this book. It had a boat in it, and it was a red cover. Can you help me find it? And it's like, no, no, we can't. Um, because that happens, by the way, if you guys didn't didn't realize that and never worked at a library. Uh, hear stories about that all the time. Uh, Spirit of the Marathon is awesome. Have you watched it? No, I watched the other running marathon one that you recommended to me, and I'm forgetting the name of it, but it was interesting. That really was that crazy. The, was that the Barkley Marathon? Yeah, that's the one. That one's really yeah, the, good. That one's really good. I enjoy it. Um, I love Spirit of the Marathon is my favorite one, and it just makes me it makes me feel like I need to go run at any given time when I watch it. It's it's very very motivational for me. It's about a group of people who are training for a marathon and talking about the the spirit of running. On Honestly, what the community is like, how how it affects your life, just not necessarily even your health, but your life in general and the the way that you you integrate it into your lifestyle. And the second one, the first one was American and it was I can't remember which marathon it was going up for, maybe Chicago or maybe different ones. I don't remember. And then the second one was a European one and it was good, but I don't feel like it. It felt like a Me Too sequel. It was like, okay, we've had the American one. Now let's do the exact same thing with the with the European version. And it just it just didn't have the heart, I don't think, of the of the American one of the first movie because they put a lot into it. I like pretty much any kind of fitness documentary uh, that I can find. That's pretty much normal if you know my personality at all. I've uh, there's one called fittest on earth that's about the crossfit games and I'm not a crossfit guy but man it was interesting watching how dedicated these people are I watch uh, uh, generation iron and pumping iron was really cool talking about steroid use and uh, in bodybuilding and bodybuilding competitions I really like it Um, let me think what are some I can't remember even all of the fitness ones and and running ones that I've I've loved there's just so many of them. Also, have you seen Please Subscribe? It's about YouTube and YouTube personalities. No, but that's one that I have heard of. It's it was a Kickstarter one, I believe, and okay. it's what it's what got me into uh, Hannah Hart, which I mentioned a couple episodes back uh, as being a guest on the Ten Percent Happier podcast, and I just like her, and it got me interested in in just that kind of how people get get into creating on youtube it was it was super cool i don't have a lot more to say other than you should watch it because once again it's about people and not so much youtube itself there's a really cool documentary called deep web that's about the uh silk road drug trade that deal that that happened a long time ago well a few years ago and how that really changed the way that that people saw the dark net and the deep web and this illicit black market online it was really good there are, are a couple of edward snowden uh documentaries that i watched that were really 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 good with interviews i gotta i need to look up the name do you happen to remember the name of the main ed snowden 
uh, uh, documentary? I have no idea. No, I don't. I don't pay attention to documentaries or documentary culture. I don't have a whole lot to help you with here. Oh my! It, it was called Citizen Four. That was okay. it. One word: Citizen Four. And if you are at all interested in the stuff that happened with Ed Snowden and the Prism stuff, uh, Prism and NSA surveillance in the United States a few years ago, watch Citizen Four. It is a journalist going in and who he contacted, putting everything together and documenting his whistleblowing on this and following it through his exile and basically running away so that he didn't, you know, get locked in a cell underneath the ground for the rest of his life. It's it is really really good. It's fairly dry in terms of what it is because it is a it is as much documentation. It is the documentation part of documentary where it is it's it's telling a story by documenting it. It is super cool. Uh, I love stuff like that. And then I love food documentaries. Do you do you ever watch? Uh, you don't like food like I do. So do you ever watch food and nutrition documentaries? Not nutrition, no. But uh, I do watch some food ones if they're interesting enough. Like my wife and I will watch. I mean. We watch a, we don't watch very much reality TV at all, but almost everything that we do watch is like food based because okay. it's interesting. Um, and we're less and less into that these days. But Netflix has a couple different like food. I don't know if they're even documentaries. It's almost like a series, like Chef Table, um, yeah. where they dive into like one person and their style and how it came about and like the end result. And I find all that very fascinating because I mean, in the end, food and cooking and baking, it's all just like chemistry which interests me. Um, And I I think one of the problems with like most of the other things you were talking about, a lot of it's just information. And I would rather have that in an article because I read super fast and I scan things really, really well. So I don't have to read a whole article, right? I don't have to take two hours to get the information that I need out of a documentary about Edward Snowden. I could, you know, read an article and get that information in like, what, 15 minutes maybe and get all the key points. Like, I don't I don't need the rest of it. Whereas food documentaries and a couple of the other ones you mentioned, like they're visually driven that you wouldn't necessarily be able to get out of text. So like if there's not a visual component and maybe this is just me being a video production guy and a video editor, like if there's not a visual to go with it, I don't even know why it needs to be a documentary. And I if with that idea, have you seen ingredients? No. Okay, go watch it. It is the single most beautiful and well shot documentary I've ever seen. As uh, as Jim Carrey would say in Bruce Almighty, it is B E A beautiful, and you're welcome for that, by the way. And it made us go to Portland, Oregon, on vacation. It was about community agriculture and growing your own ingredients, fresh, local sourced uh, food, and how how local farmers can do this kind of thing. And it was the entire point of this one wasn't so much the facts about it; what it was to highlight. It. it was to show the beauty in nature and how this was, how it all integrated together, that there can be an aesthetic alongside the nutrition. And it is seriously some of the best documentary cinematography I've ever seen. And it's won awards for that. It was it went through a lot of the film festival circuit doing things like that. And I know that there were, it was on Prime for a while, on Netflix for a while. It just kind of cycles around the 
streaming services, whichever one is free on at any given time. And sometimes it's not, but it was, it's really good. It, it seriously made us travel from Alabama to, to Portland, Oregon to see this area and how beautiful it was and just experience it because we had already been thinking about it and seeing the cinematography and the way that they presented everything made us decide, yeah, that's where we should go and save our money and up and do that. It's great. You really should look that one up, if nothing else. Cool. I'll take a look. I won't necessarily watch it, but I'll take a look at it. Yeah, take a take a look at it. That's one that I could I could really see you spending the hour and a half on just to see the the way that they put together the the food shots and stuff like that. I also, I had a student who was very big into uh, making a difference. Show me the documentary A Place at the Table, and it really opened my eyes to the idea of food deserts and how much hunger there is in the United States. It was one of those I don't think you will ever watch. I don't think that you watch documentaries like this, but it was moving. It it was just heartbreaking, and it made me really want to do things. It's made me donate to certain uh, local nonprofits and really start looking at how things are done and wanting to, to move forward in preventing it, and just the awareness that it raised has made me do a lot more in my life in terms of American hunger and thinking that just because I have a pantry full of food, sometimes people don't. And they can't. And it's really changed. It changed the way that I started teaching, honestly, when I was doing comp and the stuff I was bringing to my students and making them look at different articles and and ideas of just, you know, critically thinking about the world around them. It was fantastic. And I I thank Autumn for that. Sure. I no, I'm not going to watch that one. I don't I don't want to feel depressed for an hour and a half to get a point that somebody could tell me in an article in like five or 10 minutes. Like you could high level it for me and I could take like, like I could get the same takeaways and do the same action items as you, but I would not approach it the same way at all. But this is just us being very different people. Right. And um, I'm so emotionally driven that it takes something like that, that I can read a statistic and be like, man, that's terrible. And then I see a single child who can't eat and goes out and just the way that it's presented and have people bringing food. And I was just like, yeah, that's what's going to make me do it is seeing it and then applying it to a broader scope. Um, it was really cool. And then spinning plates was awesome. It took the idea of three completely different kinds of chefs and cooks and restaurants and just told a story of them, like the oldest restaurant in a, in a state, maybe Nebraska or Kansas, and how it is a home-owned Basically, a home-owned Cracker Barrel, where it uh, they just have this community that comes there for different times of the day, and how it burned down at one point, and the community raised enough money to build a new building for them and helped build it back because it was such a such a part of that area and the state in general. And it had one of these gastro what is what is the word gast gastro pubs uh, yeah, using it. the different molecular gastronomy different. Uh, uh, for different dishes and opening restaurants and the looking for Michelin stars in in New York it was and I can't remember the third one what it was but uh opening their own restaurant kind of thing excellent excellent movie and it's again it's about people 
rather than a high level concept, but I just liked how it highlighted these diff these different kinds of food culture that are each equally important to the people involved in that particular community. And then there's fat, sick and nearly dead, which I really liked because like I said, food and nutrition was uh, is a big part. I watched pretty much any food food and nutrition documentary that comes up i think i texted you a while back that i was like i found a new food documentary i haven't seen and started watching it called i think sustainable or sustained i loved fat sick and nearly dead it's about a dude who was and i don't subscribe to what he did because he did like a 90 day juice cleanse where all he did did was juicing and lost a bunch of weight, looked into nutrition, learned what his food was made of, all of this. And it's great. It was, it's just fun to watch and seeing, and you learn a few things about nutrition and seeing it uh, apply in, in some dude's life. Not like Super Size Me, which is very, very, it's fine, but it, it's very produced. A lot of these that I like are less produced documentaries and uh, that aren't so much trying to get a partisan idea not even partisan but an agenda across i like documentaries that document and i've tried forks over knives uh there's one called vegucated that uh, is very much trying to get across that you should be a vegan but it was also very entertaining so those kind of documentaries are the ones that i really really love and those are the ones I can think of off the top of my head. I'm pretty sure that if I had a long time, I could uh, come up with massive amounts of playlists of documentaries that I watch and think about. Yeah, it has happened more than once where you texted me and you're like, I found a new food documentary. And it's like, OK, again, great. <laughs> and like, I'm legitimately happy for you because I know that you enjoy them. But I'm like, yeah, there's another one. Sure. That's OK. Yep. Um, I love but, them. Yeah. Farmageddon and things like that. It's It's super cool. I just I like hearing the names of them and that's kind of all I need. Like yeah. it it says enough about it and that's it like does. okay, I'm good. Um but you said that you also want to talk about like memoirs and podcasts and some other stuff too, right? I love memoirs. I like I said when I was younger, I did not understand why people would read stuff like this, but they're great. They're entertaining and a lot of them are so much better on audio than they are on on just reading them unless the person unless the person is an amazing writer like Tina Fey her her book Bossy Pants is hilarious just absolutely laugh out loud hilarious while I'm reading and I don't tend to laugh a lot while I'm reading I, it's a very I don't want to say stoic thing but it's, it's a quiet hobby for me when a book makes me just cackle out loud it's fantastic, and like I really loved Tina Fey's Bossy Pants. I mentioned Bart Yasso's My Life on the Run before, Dean Karnazes' Ultra Marathon Man. I just like that kind of memoir. I've list, I've read a lot of weight loss memoirs. I, I think one of them was called Half-Assed, and uh, from... I can't remember, not from Fat to Finish Line. That was another running documentary, but those kind of things. Oh, Desert Runners is an awesome documentary. If you guys haven't seen Desert Runners, it is both beautiful and inspiring. Go re go go watch it, too. There's a memoir, this book festival that I'm working on. There's a memoirist coming who was 
who was arrested and spent a lot of time incarcerated. And when he got out, he used literature to turn his life around and is now a professor at a Northeastern University in New England. Not Northeastern, but uh, a university in New England. And I can't wait to meet him and read his his memoir called Hook. Uh, his name is Randall Horton. And I'm going to meet him on Friday and buy his book and get him to sign it. And I'm excited to meet somebody who has this this story that I will, uh, I will be able to connect neck to and then just just apply that not apply it into my life because I'm not incarcerated and having to change like that but just seeing people's life lessons and and make me more empathetic and aware of the world around me see this is interesting this is another difference between us where you want to meet him and I'm sure you're going to in person give him money for his book and get him to sign it meet him and then read it right yes I would, if I knew that there was someone I was interested in and I was going to meet them soon, I would have bought their book already. I would read it before I meet them and then I would go meet them because I want to know about them before I ever have that contact. Okay. See, and I like I like meeting strangers, weirdly enough, and talking to them and uh, then going and learning about them. It's, it's very strange. I, I have trouble approaching a situation without having all of the information that I could possibly have about it. Like, why would you? I don't understand not wanting that. Like, like I want all the information before I walk into a situation. I don't want to walk into a strange, unfamiliar situation unprepared for it. Yeah. And there's also the fact that I have been planning this festival for the last six months and uh, haven't had a lot of time to read. And uh, this week, there's no way I'm getting through a book. Well, that's that's perfectly valid. I get that. And then you and I listen to completely different kinds of podcasts, too. I know that I mentioned I mentioned last week, I think, or the week before they've blurred together at this point. But I don't listen to podcasts that are like ours. It's very it's very strange that I like doing this and having this conversation. But most of the time I don't sit down and occasionally I do. But most of the time I don't listen to podcasts like like what you and I do because they're not nonfiction, I guess is the way I look at it. They're they're topics based podcasts, but they're hobby podcasts. And sure. I, but I tend mean also to... creating and consuming are very different things. Yes, that's very true. Whereas I listen to tons of podcasts like ours because I'm into this kind of thing. Yeah. And hobby podcasts don't tend to be what I'm spending my time on. I listen to things that are are more mm, they're topics based and ours are topic topics based and most hobby podcasts like this are hobby based podcasts are our topics but it's I listen to code newbie a lot to see how people break into development and what it you know, what life is like being an open source developer. And I listen to the science of social media to see what the best strategies are to build a Facebook audience or if there is a better way to make friends using uh, email lists, Uh, social media pros for the same thing. Happier with Gretchen Rubin that I've mentioned before to get little life tips that can just make quality of life better. Like thinking about the love languages uh, not being yours that yours isn't important, that your partner's is. And if something takes one minute or less, just go ahead and do it because it will make your life better in the long run. 10% happier because it, it, 
I get to hear about different uh, spiritual leaders and people who are meditators and how it has influenced their lives and their success and then apply that again to myself. That tends to be most of the kind of podcasts I listen to. And then I'm looking at all of those and I'm saying each of those subjects is interesting to me, but every single one of the things you just mentioned could be summarized in a five to 10 minute article. Like I could get the information I need in probably less than five minutes out of each of those. Whereas like hobby podcasts, like whatever you want to classify ours as like, you know, topic of the day, it's like. You can't recreate a legitimate conversation between people on like a current topic, whereas it sounds like the things that you're getting out of the other ones you listen to are more action item where like you actually want to take them and apply them to your life. And if it is that, then why not just get like the high level and just do it instead of spending like hours on hours of like listening to them eventually get to the point? Because I've tried that. And that's how I started out doing nutrition and weight loss. And, and a lot of this was just reading the high level articles on Live Strong and Runner's World and pretty much every weight loss thing and nutrition, nutritionist in the world, Mark's Daily Apple, all of that. And it's, it seems to be more effective for me if I have a, and I, I hate to even say personal connection to it, but I see the, it, it's, it seems more genuine when I can get the backstory to it. Kind of like you were talking about with me meeting Randall next week. You want all the information to it. I don't want all of the the information that I can have. I want to have an emotional connection to them where I'm like, oh, I see what you did there. I, I understand where you're coming from. I can empathize with your with your situation, this is how I can do it in mine. I want to basically think of them as my friend. And do that, like I was listening to the Brandon Sanderson podcast, the uh, writing excuses, and by the time I got through 10 seasons of it, I was pretty sure that I considered all of them my friends. That I'd be like, oh, my friend Howard is talking. And it's like, oh, Dan. And it's like, I saw Dan Wells on Twitter. I don't know these people. I saw Dan Wells on Twitter the other day, one of the one of the co-hosts, and he was talking about flying United to a con. And I was like, why would you fly to? Why would you fly United after all of this, Dan? And uh, we talked for just a minute, exchanged a couple of tweets. But I'm like, he's my buddy. Where that's the kind of thing I listen to podcasts for. That yeah, you can get actionable items in a in an article, but it's not memorable, and that kind of thing does not stick with me okay that's it that's totally not how i approach it but i yeah it doesn't surprise me either with you no no it, it shouldn't it, it's kind of i wear i'm an open book to hit a really big cliche and i'm pretty open about everything it's like i wear my heart on my sleeve you you i am what you get there's there are levels but it's like an avocado more than an onion it's uh, <laughs> okay. Um, that was a terrible metaphor, but somebody out there got it. Um, I love S Town. It is the only narrative podcast I've ever been able to get through, and part of it is because I'm Southern, and it takes a it takes place a couple hours south of where I live. But it's also because I absolutely love Flannery O'Connor and Eudora Welty and William Faulkner, 
and I see a lot of Southern literature in this podcast, and I, I'm an Americanist. That's, that's what I spent my uh, master's on was American literature, and from 1865 to present. And so I see a lot of these Southern authors, and I see the Southern grotesque, I see the Southern regionalism, and I start seeing this Southern Gothic all combining into a podcast that rather than being nonfiction, it feels like like serial. Serial is a topics-based, episodic, nonfiction, true crime podcast. I cannot stand it. I got two episodes in. It's like, this is not my thing. But I listen to S-Town, and it's presented as almost an, an oral history of this man's life, which are some of my favorite kinds of books. Um, World War Z is like that. Rant by Chuck Palahniuk is like that. Um, there's an oral history, I think, that Stephen King did that's off the top of that I can't remember. But those kinds of, of books I love. And this is presented as a creative nonfiction podcast that really has the feel and structure of a Southern Gothic grotesque regionalistic novel. And I love that about it. And to me, that feels very unique. And I don't know of any other podcast that take it to the extreme that S-Town has. So I'm really hoping that someone else can put out a story like that. Um, then just generally NPR shows. I'll find NPR topics all the time that I just love and want to listen to. I found one the other day. I think it was on All Things Considered. There was a story called The Other Mr. President that was about Vladimir Putin rising to power and like Crimean wars and stuff like that. Super good. Just here and there in PR shows and the splendid table because it's food. <laughs> NPR can be really good. Um, I listen to some of their stuff off and on. I'm not like actively subscribed to any of their podcasts right now, yeah. but I do like dip in and out sometimes because NPR just in general puts out good content. They do. And it's some of the most, and I, I hate to say it, it's, it's some of the most professional radio out there. Obviously it is. I mean, it's NPR, but I don't like, disc jockeys i don't like morning radio shows i don't like shock jocks and i don't like anything that is doing it for sensationalism i don't like sensationalistic entertainment which is why i know you and i have talked about why you don't like uh, american reality tv you, you'll watch australian stuff a lot and korean uh -huh. and that's kind of how i am with radio shows and podcasts and uh a lot of reality tv and I hate to say nonfiction TV, but even stuff like The Talking Dead and the Nerdist podcast, I just can't get into because they're so, in a lot of ways, sensationalist, and I just don't want any part of that. Kind of like Mythbusters. It's like, oh, look at all this big blowy up stuff. Yes, I said blowy up stuff, and that's not what interests me. It's science, though. I know, but if see, and that's the thing. If it were a documentary that was about the science, I would be great with it. But it's not about the science so much as it is these personalities doing the science, and I don't like those personalities. And so kind of like you, with it's the opposite of the reason I like everything else. I have to like these people. And, uh, I mean, those are the kinds of podcasts I listen to a lot. And then just nonfiction stuff, like we had talked about earlier, memoirs and things like that on audio. Christopher McDougal's Born to Run, uh, Scott Jurek's Eat and Run, Tim 10% Happier by Dan Harris, which is also you guys are like, oh my God, shut up about this already, BJ. It's like I mention it all the time. It's because 
never had a book that changed my life before people and um and it really literally did and uh i think there's one that i'm i'm about to buy that i read the sample of called buddhism without belief that one is uh really really cool um taking it away from the religious aspect and the spirituality and then the idea of there's one called abiding in mindfulness by joseph goldstein uh that's on audio that that is about uh mindfulness it's it's mindfulness lectures and buddhist lectures that i think is uh super interesting and i know uh chris evans uh on twitter has talked has gotten me extra ones in those in those series and listen to those so thanks chris uh stuff like that and when i'm reading i know you say you read a lot of articles and i used to do that like my morning routine used to be open up flipboard and use it like other people use the paper that I would have my iPad on the kitchen table while I was eating and flip through the uh, the news and, and whatever was coming through in fitness, video games, technology, and world events. And when my, when my counselor told me to start doing one thing at a time, I really got out of that, that I was focusing on the food I was eating at that point rather than uh, trying to eat and consume so much so much media at the same time that i've pretty much pared down the article reading that i do to a lot of it is web design these days which i look at as being professional development because you know freelancing and moving into that keeping up with it and just learning how to how to better use different tools online so i'll read a lot of stuff like that i read a whole lot about digital security and privacy and encryption and a lot of stuff like that that i try to talk to my wife about and she just looks at me like i really don't care and i'm like okay but i'm gonna tell you about this anyway because she and that doesn't even hurt my feelings because i know she does not care about digital security like i do and then stuff like futurism i know that you and i have talked a lot about different kind of upcoming tech near future stuff like that that we just want to see and so i read a lot about different articles about futurism so that's pretty much where my article reading is i don't do read nearly as much entertainment and video games stuff as I used to. I actually use you as my curator for that. And Jennifer is my entertainment curator and you are my video games curator where you both send me the articles I need to see. And then my seeking out turns out to be different places than what you two send me. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. But like, I mean, I guess this is an area of like nonfiction that I actually can weigh in on because I, I do read a bunch of articles and some of them are professional development like you were talking about you know marketing social media like any of that kind of technology and like production stuff I do all sorts of different production I mean however you want to classify it um so I do read those kind of things to keep up with it and I, d- I do a little bit of digital security like you mentioned but I just I make sure I know enough to protect myself I don't necessarily like get into the weeds on it because I start to get bored but I definitely want to know enough to keep like my digital security in a good spot. Um, And then like futurism, I love futurism stuff and like futurology. I'll read about that kind of stuff all day. That's just for fun. You know, like there's no practical purpose at the end of that. That's just like, what are the different ways the world can go? What kind of technologies are emerging? Like, I love that kind of stuff. Yeah. And just the idea it, and part of it is being a science fiction author that I'm always, I'm looking to stuff like that. And I'll occasionally get a story idea that I'll jot down that one day I'll be able to sit down and write this out where I just love, 
I love futurism because the same reason you do, just seeing what can happen and seeing the extrapolation of these ideas through experts' eyes, where you and I can can extrapolate these different ideas out and then a theoretical physicist or, or chemical engineer or whoever it is will be able to look at it and be like, the actual information and where it's going to go. And you, you and I are like, wouldn't it be cool if, and they're like, yeah, this is going to be cool in five years when it does this. Yeah. That kind of stuff is super fun to read and like get into and discuss and kind of think about. Okay. Let's dive into the geeky offer of the week. <laughs> now that everyone has tons and tons of recommendations from you for nonfiction stuff, I'm going to do it this week. We have audible. Um, I'm going to recommend you're never weird on the internet. Almost by Felicia Day. And it's the one that I mentioned kind of up front where she wrote a little, it's like a memoir of um, the first chunk of her life. And it kind of deals with her as a kid and being, you know, a nerd or a geek or however you want to classify it. And then how that applied growing up and her being homeschooled and how that affected things. And then it also has the start of, and this was the part that I was really interested in, kind of has the start of um, Geek and Sundry, you know, as a network and like okay. the shows that she made, like some of those first web series that were narrative on the internet that mm-hmm. she was a part of and how those came about and kind of the creation of them, the, the behind the scenes, what was going on at the time and where the internet was at there. And it went and it basically went through like a, a year or two ago is kind of where it stopped kind of after, you know, I think it stops right around the time that Geek and Sundry is actually established and they started expanding it out from there. Okay. So I really liked it. It was written by her, and then I'm recommending it on Audible because it's read by her, which makes it even better because you know you're getting the author's inflection and tone of voice. So you can go, as always, to audibletrial.com slash geek to geekcast and get a book for free. It can be this one. It can be another one. Whatever. But either way, it helps out the podcast, and you guys get a free book out of it. So audibletrial.com slash geek to geekcast I'm really glad. Oh, I'm really glad that you recommended that because I have it sitting on my nightstand right now and I've gotten maybe a chapter or two in and just never finished it. It's not as though it was bad because it was very good what I read. I just kind of fell off and started reading something else. So I really need to go back to that. If you rec- if, if it's your recommendation, it's something I need to read as well. Yeah, it's good. And with that, it's time for our weekly geekery where we share what we've been geeking out about this week. What did you have? You, how did the TV go? Uh, the TV went very, very well. Uh, it aired this morning as of this recording. I already had somebody oh, post good. on my, my Facebook uh, timeline this morning. It's like, hey, I grew up uh, seeing you and uh, I saw you on TV this morning. It was like, it was awesome. And so I haven't seen it. I don't think I'm going to watch it. Uh, I don't listen. I don't like listening to myself. And it's very hard to listen to podcasts with me even still. And uh, TV is just something I don't think I can do yet. And I know that's something that you don't deal with because you're in video production for so long so it's like yeah i see myself um but yeah we've still got interviews and things like that going on our, our festival is this week as you guys are listening to this if you're listening to it on release day uh it starts on probably today as you listen to this so i'm running around like a chicken with my head cut off uh right now dealing with a uh, book festival so uh wish me luck you guys yeah good um, luck with that future bj <laughs> uh yeah thank you thank you past void um I've been playing some Persona 4 Golden. I've gotten about an hour more into it than I did, maybe two hours. Uh, the first boss in the first palace uh, keeps killing me over and over and over again. So uh, I stopped about 10 minutes before we were recording this and just going to step back for a little bit and uh, figure out what I'm doing wrong. And then I've been sleeping because I've got, a, I got a long 
long, long week. Yeah. And I'm going to sleep. I'm going to sleep a lot. I'm geeking out about how much sleep that I want and that I've had and that I'm going to do later today. Okay, good. Um, for me, it was mostly Persona 5, but before I get into that, I finished the backlog of Mabim Bam, which is my brother, my brother, and me, um, in advice It just show makes me laugh. For the modern era, and those guys are amazing. It's the same guys that do the Adventure Zone, but it's their comedy advice podcast, and it's not really an advice podcast. It's, it's a comedy podcast. Um, so I finished listening to their backlog. It's like... 300 episodes or something like that it might be closer to 400 now um they have a lot and it was something that like i started listening to them and i've kept up week to week and then whenever i'm caught up on all of my other podcasts i just start picking away at their backlog and this week i finally ran out so wow i've listened to all of my bim bam now and i highly recommend it it's really funny don't i wouldn't recommend some some podcast it's better to go back to episode one and listen through them chronologically this one not so much i would start with the latest ones and work your way backwards oh yeah it's, you want to binge not, and button this it's not chronological it's just like it's comedy and they do it every week and every week is basically disconnected from the weeks before so you can just jump into the latest and greatest and have fun with it but persona 5 was kind of the bulk of my week um with my free time anyway outside of work and I want to touch on a couple of little things in it again, and I'm sure I'll touch on more of it next week. And I, I don't know how far I am. I think I'm about two thirds of the way through, maybe. Okay. So at the pace I'm going, I would think another week or two, I should be able to finish it up. But I also don't want to jinx it because I don't know exactly where it ends or how long it is. So we'll see. But I'm still really liking it. Um, I would say at this point that it's overcome Persona 4. So Wow. It's it's like way up there. And again, I don't think I ever said Persona 4 is my favorite game of all time, but it's definitely like in my top couple JRPGs. It depends on my mood, how I would move those around. Persona 5 easily is above Persona 4, just Man. in terms of like lots of little touches and like modernizations that they've brought to it that improve the game so much. It just makes it like clearer what you can do on a given day or jumping around between locations to actually like get to the next thing is way faster. Um uh, you know, it's like all of the day-to-day life and small activity things that they have, they all have, like, consequences, which are almost always good, like, no matter what you do, which is similar to other Persona games. But just, like, the way you approach them and how clear they are about it and how easy it is to jump into them when you have, like, free time in the game um, is is leaps and bounds above. And then the dungeon designs are so much better too like they're handcrafted dungeons whereas persona 4 which i'm sure you know because you're playing a dungeon right now they're procedurally generated and it yeah, shows and I, I don't like that that was something even this first one that i saw and i hoped that there weren't a whole lot of dungeons because procedurally generated dungeons have always kind of bored me yeah and that was my least favorite part of persona 4 was the procedurally generated dungeons. So I really like the handcrafted dungeons in Persona 5 more, which it's an improvement for the series, but it's not necessarily an improvement for the genre. Like other people handcraft their dungeons. Like it's not a right. new thing, you know, but it is for Persona. So it, it puts it above that one. But I mean, it just like Persona 5 in general, other things I'm liking about it. Like I mentioned, lots of little touches in the day-to-day life things. Um, they have so many activities that you can do that will improve your different stats. You know, you have like guts and knowledge and kindness and like all of these different things that 
like you want to improve over time because they let you do more and more things. And sometimes it's like working a part-time job after school, which sounds boring, but it actually becomes fun because then you're like, oh, I'm getting better at, you know, X, Y, Z, plus I'm getting some in-game cash out of it, which you can turn around and buy things to take into the dungeon and equip your party better. And it's like all of the day-to-day stuff ties back into the dungeon crawling aspects and vice versa which i think is like such a core part of persona that sometimes gets overlooked like i've talked about how much i like the 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 slice of life part but i think i wouldn't like it as much if the slice of life stuff didn't tie back in to the dungeons and the combat system do you know what i mean yeah, I do. And it's it's in four right now. That's something that's a little overwhelming to me, just getting started out with the amount of slice of life stuff that you have and the interactions and the stuff to do. It's and the way that it interacts with the combat and battle systems and other part of the game. It's it's a lot. And in Persona 5, it's even more so. But I mean, not in a bad way. It's just like they've taken it another step. So if it's a rainy day out like and you go into Mementos, Mementos is like the um, it's kind of a never ending dungeon. It's the only one that's procedurally generated and you can jump in there whenever you want to level up or grind or honestly, most of the time you're going in there to do these little like subtasks and like little missions and stuff that are outside of the main palace dungeons because the main palaces with the story are all handcrafted. Mementos is separate from that. So if it's a rainy day out and you go into Mementos, it acts differently because of it. And there was like a couple weeks in the game where they're like, oh, it's a high pollen count. Everybody's taking allergy meds, which makes them (laughs) groggy. And then you go into Mementos. And because of that, all of the shadows, which are the bad guys, all of them have a chance to just be sleeping because they're groggy because the general population is it's like these things that feed back into each other that's super weird but i love it and then like you know confidence i'll talk about confidence another week because give me another week with it because i'm starting to max out different these are the social link equivalents right i'm starting to max out more confidant relationships and i want to do more of that before i talk about it because the further you get along each confidant the more interesting their story and the more like it feels satisfying and complete. Yeah. Um, whereas the earlier you are, the more like surface level it is because that's the way a relationship develops, you know? Um, that's so true. Things like that. I mean, you know, just talking about how they tie together, like one of the, the action items you can do is you live above a cafe and the cafe is owned by the person who's your guardian for the year watching you because you're, you know, on probation. And he starts off kind of gruff with you but he's one of the confidants and over time you can improve your relationship with him and he teaches you how to like help in the cafe so he teaches you how to make coffee how to make curry stuff like that and you help out a little bit so one of the side activities with one of your free time blocks is you can make coffee and you make coffee the way he taught you and then that ties back into him liking you more and you having more of a chance to increase your relationship with him on the confidant level (laughs) that's super weird to me it's it's really really cool. And cool. I mean it's cool, but it's still like, huh, that's weird. It's just like the way that all of the systems tie together in these odd ways. Um but okay, so outside of that, the music is really good. Um I it's different than Persona 4's music, which is also fantastic. Yes. This for Persona 5, it's kind of like upbeat jazz, which I'm not really a fan of jazz, but I'm loving the soundtrack anyway and 
calling it upbeat jazz doesn't do it justice. Like you need to listen to it to actually know. But like I said, it's not my normal kind of music, but it's a perfect fit for this game. Um, and then I, I just love the music. My favorite track so far is the one where you're making a final run at a treasure inside of a palace. So after you find the treasure and you kind of map your way to it inside of the story palaces, um, you have to leave a calling card for that person and it puts them on high alert, but it lets them know you're coming for the treasure. And then you make a run on the treasure. And that last day when you're making a run on the treasure, the music that plays, I just, I love it. It's my favorite music in the game so far. It's really, really good. It gets me like super pumped for the heist, basically. <laughs> and that's the reason it's there. Good yeah. music and sound production in a game is noticeable and mediocre is just something that you forget then jrpg music when it's done well is something that people like you and me and i know chocobo chica uh and a bunch of the other uh other listeners are all about the music in some of this that like final fantasy music is some of the only jrpg and game music i've ever just sat and listened to which i love when a game has music like that and persona 4's music i don't know if i would listen to but i love it in the game that in terms of keeping the music on and the sound down or or the sound down persona 4 i'm gonna make sure i hear the music so i'm, I'm glad to hear that 5 is the same way yeah, and this is, I'm realizing how much I like the music in Persona 4 and 5, and I should probably pick up the soundtracks. And I don't ever really do that for games outside of Final Fantasy. It's kind of, uh, I mean, you and I have talked about this before, like, Star Wars music is the same way, right? Like, the music yes. is its own thing that adds to and makes the, the total product better. And that's true in Final Fantasy for the most part, and it's true mm -hmm. in Persona. And... I, I'm just realizing that this week when I had to like type out some more thoughts about Persona for the podcast, I was like, oh, I really do like this music. I should get the soundtrack, which is not something I ever typically say. Um, and I think that you would, if you spend enough time with Persona 4, you're probably going to feel like that too, the same way that right. you feel about Final Fantasy music. Yeah, where I'm, I'm sad that when I upgraded my phone, something happened and I lost my Final Fantasy ringtones that I had. Aww, and I just don't want to pay the money for them again because it won't download them again. It's weird, but that's I mean, I love it enough that I have the battle fanfare as my ringer or text tone or something. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, like Persona's getting there with me to the point where I just I love the music and I, I got to get the soundtracks. Yay. Um, and then the other thing I want to talk about. And like I said, I'll circle around back to Persona 5 next week. I promise Um, the battle system itself, the button mapping inside well actually i should talk about ambushes first inside of a palace you sneak around and you can like hit the x button if you're near a wall or near an um an object or something and you like hide right next to it you're basically right. effectively invisible and if you you can jump from object to object but just by kind of looking at it and hitting x so it's kind of like being in cover and like instantly jumping from object to object but of course right it's a stylized game, so you do it in like a quick, almost instant, like anime jump from point to point. It's not like a third-person military shooter cover to cover. You know what I mean? Right, um, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Okay. It's not like Hitman or something like no. that or Gears of War. This is, it's what would happen in an anime. Yes, exactly. And if you're in cover and you look at an enemy and they're close enough, it gives you an option to ambush them. Or you, you can try to just sneak up behind them and do it too. But usually, if you do it from cover, you ambush them. It means that you get to go first, and they start at a disadvantage in battle. So I just think that's cool because it ties into the overall heist theme and being as 
thief and sneaking around and all of that. Um, but when you're actually in a battle, and this is what I wanted to talk about, is the button mapping. In other JRPGs, like combat that's driven by menus, you have a menu and you press up and down to pick what you're going to do. And then you hit the X button or the confirm button, whatever it is, to go into that menu. And then you might be in a sub menu where you hit up and down and you pick what you're doing, right? We've done this a million times. Like you pick attack, you pick item, you choose your item or, you know, you pick your magic, you choose your magic. Yeah. In Persona 5, they mapped all of that to the face buttons on the controller. So you're never scrolling through, well, not never, but you're not usually scrolling through a menu. Like if you want to attack, you hit the X button and it attacks. Okay. If you want to guard, you hit the circle button and it guards. You know, um, items are on square button and like triangle button does persona. So it's this like little touch, but it makes a world of difference. Like I don't even know how much time that saved me in the game, not having to scroll through every single menu. I think that's really cool. And I think that all JRPGs should do that going forward. Like if you have, you know, enough different like battle commands that they would just fit on the face buttons why not map it to them it's a better interface overall that does sound like a just a quality of life change that that other games need to pick up yeah and i just i think it should be the standard going forward if it fits in the game um it's one of those things that in hindsight it's like oh yeah we should have been doing this for years this makes perfect sense like why not um and then outside of that the other thing that i think are really cool well, the, the boss fights are kind of like puzzles, which are somewhat fun. Um, sometimes sometimes they get frustrating, which is what you're experiencing right now yeah. in Persona 4. But the the general enemies that you encounter, like, you know, over and over in a dungeon as you explore it, you have to figure out their weakness, right? And you can look at the current, like, weaknesses that you know of, and it starts off with, like, all question marks across it. And then as you try each type of magic on them... It will tell you if it does like normal damage, if they absorb it, if they're immune to it, or if they're weak. And almost every enemy has at least one weakness. Some of them have two. So part of the game is the first time you encounter a new enemy type, figuring out what their weakness is by kind of like rotating through your different personas and trying different magic on them. Right? You've right. experienced this in Persona 4. Oh, yeah. Like it's it's just a core part of the game. So in Persona 5, what they've done is... If you have found an enemy's weakness already, so this is after you've done that kind of like troubleshooting, figuring it out part, which is fun in itself. If you're encountering them again and you already know their weakness, if you put your cursor over that enemy and you hit the R1 button, your character will automatically switch personas to whichever one has the right magic. It will select the correct magic that they're weak to, and all you have to do is hit X. That's fantastic. Yes, it, it makes a huge difference. Like, that little quality of life thing, I'm sure, has saved me, like, hours already. Yeah, just not having to do it constantly. Yeah, because, like, it's fun figuring it out the first time, but after that, you know what it is, and it just becomes an exercise in executing it, which, like, okay, hunt through my personas. I have, like, mm-hmm. 12 of them. Which one has the right magic? What are they weak to yep. again? Um, let's, like, hunt for it. Oh, I forgot what they're weak to now. Let's go back and look again. Okay, now I'm all the way out of the menus. I have to go back in. It's it's all that little fiddly stuff. that That's not fun, right? That's no. just, like, management of menus. So they take that out of the equation. As soon as you've figured it out and you know what their weakness is, just hit R1 and it's ready to go. Yeah, good for them. Yeah, I thought it was really cool. So that's that's my Persona 5 update for this week. I'm getting there. Um, I might talk about Confidants next week because they're really cool. But like I said, I want to max out a couple more of those before I do. Oh, oh, that's what it was. That's what I need to talk to you about. Have you tried this on your Vita yet? 
I was curious if you had done the PS4 share onto your Vita so that you could play it handheld at all. No, I tried it, and I I don't know. The, the Vita connection is so random with how often it works and how often it doesn't. Like, I remember when I was playing Destiny pretty heavily, um, you know, right when it came out. Right. I was playing on the Vita almost every night in bed, and it worked solidly for a long time. Um, and I just... I honestly, I haven't tried it in months and months, and I tried it the other night, and I just couldn't get the Vita to connect to the PS4. Like, it's nothing against, it wasn't because of Persona, it was just because of whatever was going on with PSN, and it just wouldn't work for me. That's fair. Yeah, I was curious, because you've talked about wishing this was a, this were a Vita game and a handheld game rather than being on the PS4, so I didn't know if you had tried it and had a small quality reduction just to be able to have, uh, have your couch and your bed as being the best place to do it yeah and i haven't but i mean i i tried it and it it just didn't work (laughs) but okay with that you can write to us with comments suggestions or feedback our email address is geek2geekcast at gmail.com or reach us on twitter at geek2geekcast we also have our longer discussion threads on the subreddit at reddit.com slash r slash geek2geekcast and remember folks we're part of a podcast network if you're not listening to all of our podcasts you can head over to geek to geekcast.net to see if we have anything that tickles your fancy and while you're there you can uh, sign up for our amazing email list uh, we're going to be up in our game soon and there is going to be email only content and contests to win free swag coming your way soon i blog at agreenmushroom.com and you can find me at grn mushroom that's green mushroom without the e's on twitter and i'm on twitter as at professor beige that's beige with two e's and i blog and occasionally podcast at geekfitness.net we've been void beige with your geek to geek podcast that'll do it for this week see you next week geeks bye guys Comics. Hey everyone, this is Rob, your friendly neighborhood comic geek. And this is Liam, the the languishing, lascivious Liam of Langley. Wow, that was extremely illiterate of you. Well, I try. We are the hosts of the Comic Box, part of the Geek to Geek Podcast Network. So join us. Bop, bop. Oh, yeah.